my grades weren't great. He was visiting Cardinal Spum, that's the school, my high school. And my SATs weren't great. I didn't even break a thousand. Um, but I knew the stuff. I remember he looking at me, he says, you know, ideal, you can, you can leave all this. You're destined for something higher. I'm gonna take you under my wing. You're going to RPI. Hi, I'm Cosmo Calloway. And I'm Eliana Stanford, and you're listening to Full Steam Ahead. Full Steam Ahead is a student-led podcast where we talk with thought leaders in the STEAM field to pick apart their origins in order to further understand the motivations behind their accomplishments and the hopes that they can provide fuel for the next generation of STEAM students. In today's episode, we're sitting down with NASA Solar System Ambassador herself, Dr. Ideal gonzalez Sericio. Multitasker is an understatement when it comes to Dr. G. And I mean it when I say that her list of accomplishments could not fit on an entire page, but I'll try to name a few regardless. She's the co-director and founder of The Gold Initiative, which strives to provide an engaging, holistic education style to young STEAM students with learning differences. She received her PhD in molecular genetics at Caltech and her BS in molecular biology at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, or RPI. She taught for seven years at our own Buckley High School, three years at Bridges Academy, and is now beginning a new chapter teaching at the Brentwood School. Dr. G felt fitting for the first episode as she was our science teacher and mentor at the Buckley School and helped facilitate our love and passion for the STEAM field, which had now inspired us to pass it on and motivate other future world changers. Welcome, Dr. G. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you, guys. This is so exciting. Yes. <laughs> I'm so proud that you guys came to the dark side, or the good side, I should say, the steam world. <laughs> well, um, I think the last time either of us saw you was probably in March. So uh, how are you and your family doing as far as the old COVID-19 thing is concerned? Uh, we're, we're very lucky. We're very fortunate. Everyone is here. Um, it's weird for the teenage guys. You know, they were free at college, and now they're back home. So imagine having your parents, now your roommates. So it's a big culture shock, but it's selfishly, I, I love it, having them back. That sounds you, like a fun little family reunion. We have the duck faco, we have some frogs, some tadpoles, we're living it up here. Are you pursuing any STEAM endeavors while you're, um, you know, in quarantine? Actually, yeah, um, there's a lot of things going on in the background besides the Soul System Ambassador and teaching. I've been setting up a program called STEAM Pathways with a colleague of mine, his name is Simon Huss, and we're developing a, path, a particular pathway, including arts, and incorporating DEI, because we, want, we do, I don't believe in performative uh, you know, activism. We are, you know, ever since if you guys know me, even before, really identifying the beauty of diversity, equity, and inclusion in science, because without that, technology does not move forward. So we develop a program through Oasis for educators, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what background you are, but how to see how STEAM itself represents inclusivity. Um, when you look at STEAM, you think, oh, that the core classes is just science and math. No, you need the technology, the engineering, and the art in order to see the whole picture, the impactful picture, um, especially if you want to make change in this yeah. world. And then another thing that I'm doing, yeah, you know I'm not lazy, uh, with my possum, my scientist astronaut program, uh, I'm actually writing my TED-P, which is a technical experimental uh, 
product data sheets as a proposal on exactly how I'm going to bring my nematodes up, you know, using pheromones and also using different uh, soil samples in microgravity, suborbit work. So I have to finish that. And uh, mentoring our two finalists, our two high school team finalists that are also bringing up their experiment suborbit. So one is doing lung capacity and the other one is doing resonance on a speaker. So we're still figuring out the engineering on how to have the speaker, have water, have the correct focal point to view the oscillation of the water in micro G in every 20 second oscillation. So that's all I, oh, and I was teaching too. So I was teaching twice exceptional students in San Francisco. So yeah, I've been doing things behind the scenes. Doing a couple things, yeah. Well, um, that sounds, I mean, between like steam pathways and, you know, mentoring students in Possum 13, that all sounds incredibly intricate and like powerful too. Um, uh, what about like going back to the, the basics, I guess, of like it all, um, when did you think you first considered like a, a career in STEAM or STEM? The passion was, how does this planet work? How are we interconnected? Um, why am I so similar to the cockroach versus how knowing that technology of that life form, how can that be used for bioremediation to cure diseases or engineer something that allows us to explore either inner earth or outer space? And then as I was, because I, I don't, you know, you know about my cockroach story and that's what fascinated me so much of why things occur and how four little letters make up life on this planet and possibly others. And it doesn't need to be carbon. It could be anything, right? Especially silicone, mm -hmm. if you want to know the chemistry. But then I realized the importance of the A in steam. And that started to kick in when I was at Bridges Academy, towards the end of Bridges Academy and going into uh, Buckley representation. The A part of STEM or STEAM, that A part is art and the humanities. And if you don't have representation, uh, that's when you start developing societal biases. And if I don't see myself as a scientist, if I didn't have that representation, I wouldn't have thought I had that opportunity. So this is when I tell you art, like the Cosby show, I saw a fellow Puerto Rican educated and I didn't know um, like a person like me could go to college. That was the arts that told me I can, it opened the door and that gave me that hunger to keep on going. Um, hidden figures. My, if I knew about hidden figures back in the day when I was in the Bronx I wouldn't have no you know I felt like I was stolen from about having an opportunity to become a rocket scientist I didn't know that was possible but definitely Star Trek you know Uhura having her represent like my aunt she looked like one of my aunts I'm like oh my gosh that was the initiation of the love of science the love of space exploration and the importance of inclusivity the A in the STEAM. It's so interesting that like the arts were kind of a, like a vehicle of transportation into the STEM world. Um, was there some kind of formative experience that you feel like officially marked your entrance in the STEM field where you're like, this is really possible for me? Dr. Eddie Knowles. 
he was a recruiter for RPI. And I think I stopped the class. Nola, you weren't there, but I did talk about him. He died uh, this year. And he was the one who took a chance on me and said, yeah, you are a future scientist. And no one else ever said that to me before. My grades weren't great. He was visiting Cardinal Spum, that's the school, my high school. And my SATs weren't great. I didn't even break a thousand. Um, my grades were okay, but I knew the stuff. And he's, I remember he looking at me, he says, you know, ideal, you can, you can leave all this. You're destined for something higher. I'm going to take you under my wing. You're going to RPI. Boom. I'm like, what the hell? How did that happen? He's, I could hear your love for the sciences. I could see you as a scientist and don't let your environment tell you otherwise. So he, he, I'm like, you have to convince my parents. My parents didn't believe we could go to college. He's like, no, just get married and just have a little job. I had to fight and I fought. And if it wasn't for Dr. Knowles, Eddie, I would not be here. Hmm. He took a chance. And uh, he touched many lives, especially students of color um, in the Bronx and at RPI, making sure that our voices were heard and filling us up saying, no, that stigmatize. You know what you are. You know what you are. Keep on going. Keep on. And that's what I do to you guys, saying nobody defines you but yourself. Yeah, I think, you know, first off, that's incredibly powerful. I don't think I even thought about how the idea of, you know, representation matters does perfectly fit into STEAM, or the A rather than STEAM. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, know you with, you know, science and technology and, and art and engineering, or excuse me, and engineering and math. But how do you think you fit the A personally? I formalized DA. I never knew I was doing A. Um, I knew when I was, you know, still doing my research, and I still am, but when I was taking photographs and images, how, how beautiful it looked. And those fluorescence of the neurons telling me a story about where this particular gene eventually becoming a protein, where it acts to heal, right? And it it's like, here's the beam of light. And that was the beauty. That's the art. And I always took beautiful pictures. You know that. You could Google it. You could Google all the pictures I've taken. And I never realized that art could actually have an emotional connection. Like, you could actually have an emotional response to the beauty of what's sustaining life or identifying life or a possibility to cure. Mm. And when I realized, I think it was in 2000. 13 when a started to keep come out of steam or stem becoming steam and i'm like yeah duh it should be there i mean it's like yeah steam full ahead without that arch without that emotional connection how can we have individuals buy in buy in into the data knowing that there's no science is you know stem steam is not an opinion but it's facts and is there to heal us help us direct us and guide us so that's that's where my a came from it became formalized so you took photos of under the microscope how did you take these photos oh so you're using a marsky uh, microscope similar to the ones that we have in the classroom and then we have some real higher power higher power ones called confocal and you can actually take in vivo images, so the worms are still alive, and we can actually follow the green fluorescent protein or blue fluorescent. You could do whatever you want with them. You could change it to any color and follow the expression pattern or the protein itself pattern. 
or you could take in vitro, you know, I had to slice up the fish and see exactly where my particular protein was being expressed. And you just take a camera. The Confocal uses lasers and they take a Z series, but it's all these different forms. Um, back in the day when the Sydney Brenner days, when they were identifying nematodes as a tool for, uh, for science exploration, to study life, it was old school looking at a microscope and just drawing. And that became the information for other scientists to copy. And then eventually technology taking pictures came about. So that was still art form. Hmm. Um, I know you were talking about how, you know, people could look up these photos that you took, but I think one thing that people might not be able to look up is the fact that you're a member of the Academy of Magical Arts. So yeah. uh, I was wondering, you know, how do you think you've used that too to, to link science in and give personality to back that? Definitely. Um, science, Dean, is real magic. Before technology reached our curiosity, um, how someone inherited certain traits seemed like magic. Um, how day and night occur, how we revolved around the sun seemed like magic, but now we could explain it. How beautiful is that? Um, uh, I remember um, old traditions, at least in my culture, like if your nose is bleeding, put a penny on it. You know, where did that come from? And then, um, you know, and then it magically disappeared, right? But your, your blood. But then you learned about the science behind it. No, it wasn't a penny. And it wasn't by putting your head back. It was, you know, holding your nose while you stuck the penny in there. And then we, feel, we figured out uh, the reasons. Um, how, I mean, think about it, just solid liquid to gas. And that's, oh, I didn't even tell you the new form of matter that my friend may, um, did I email you? I thought I did email you. The fifth state of matter that was discovered at the ISS uh, a couple of days ago by Robert Thompson. We have the freaking fifth state of matter. <laughs> he may win the Nobel Prize. And it's just thinking about how atoms attract each other. You know, this is a solid, here's a liquid, here's a gas, and now we have forget it. It seems like magic, but now we could prove this magic is real. So when I perform magic or when I practice my magic, there's a reason behind it. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's just cool. I mean, also for the brain psychology part, people want to believe in a fantasy, right? So it's kind of cool to have someone, you know, see the pen disappear and then reappear and they're trying to figure out logically how that works, but that's not the cool little secret you have. But everything has a reason, and you can always replicate it. Your passion is inspiring. I think it's so interesting how you took, you harnessed this kind of art form, and you moved it, because I was researching you, stalker. Oh, and, yeah. And I found that you have a BS in molecular biology from RPI, and I want to know like how you got into biology in particular, like the story, because I think maybe some listeners on here might not know about the cockroach story. All right. Um, okay. So I was a little girl in the South Bronx, um, legit, you know, really poor, uh, welfare. We always went to the cheese line. My parents were constantly working and no one in my family went to college or once in a while they graduated high school. It was during the winter time, and the uh, the landlord, I guess, threw a bomb, a bug bomb, 
And I remember a cockroach, my sister, my brother and I stayed in one room. So I was in the bottom, I was in the top part of the bunk bed. Uh, my sister was in the younger one, my brother was on the other side. And there was this cockroach underneath the windowsill in the Bronx. And I'm like, that's weird. And I'm like staring at it. And then it disappeared and left some white stuff. So I'm like, oh, baby. So I covered it up with a box, a shoe box. And, you know, I put on my uniform and walked to school. But every day I kept on checking it out. And after like two weeks, those little white things, a lot of little cockroaches came out of them. Now, there were eight capsules. For each eight capsules, there's seven cockroaches. Cockroaches come fully formed, but um, they're not brown until uh, their exoskeleton is exposed to oxygen. That's how it gets dark. And I was like watching them for quite some time. And I went to my mom. I'm like, mommy, mommy, guess what? Guess what? Cockroaches. I thought they had eggs, um, I mean, worms, but actually they, they're little cockroaches and some type of egg. And it's amazing. And my mom asked me, how did that happen? How do you know all this? I'm like, I have the whole family in the bedroom. She whacked me, took the raid, but that inspired me. I remember um, the Monday going back and asking Sister Elizabeth and Sister Mark, I went to a Catholic school. I'm like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? God made it. God said so. And I'm like, okay, fine, but why? How? Why? And I needed that answer. And I hated the fact that they told me it's not your problem. You don't worry about it. God did it. You don't need anything else. Because their role at the time is to make sure we're safe. You know, that we're not going to do anything else but graduate from grammar school. You know, they didn't think anything else. I mean, I, I told you two of the stories about a lot of my eighth grade friends were pregnant by eighth grade, 13, 12, 13 years old. I mean, that's where I grew up. But I didn't like that. And then I was an avid reader of anything Stan Lee, X-Men, Spider-Man, and I kept on reading. And I'm like, holy snap. Oh, dip, look at this. There's things with DNA, and then I started putting connections because Peter Parker was bit. Now he has DNA, now he's half spider. Then I started getting connections. Then I saw, I know it's a long story, but then I saw the sci-fi show called V. Your parents may know of it. And then they talked about the genes in there. And then I saw, you know, everything started to come together. And I was floored when I learned it's four little chemicals. And nothing makes us different. It's just depending on how you perform that little recipe, that connection. That's what inspired me. And I hated the fact that someone says, it's not your problem. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, no. And I just kept on pushing to figure out. I wanted to know more. I wanted that curiosity not to end. I needed to answer. And then I get another question. And then I want an answer. I wanted, so that was my love of science, curiosity, loving the fact that we are all interconnected. We are the same, you know, yeah. and beauty that we're different at the same time. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like you just, you know, kept either searching for or making those opportunities, like no matter what, and, and continually asking like, why, why is this, why is that? And like always questioning. And, you know, I know um, you're a part of Possum 13. And for those who are unaware uh, of their site, projectpossum.com, they describe it as a talented group of 13 female possum scientists, astronaut candidates who serve as global ambassadors in increasing opportunity and representation for students. And I guess my question for you is, how did you become a part of Possum 13 and what do you hope to accomplish with everything going on? So uh, I discovered Project Possum through 
my curiosity. You know how much I want to go into space. And I At this point on our call with Dr. G, there was a slight audio malfunction, but she went on to explain how every two to three years she applied to become an astronaut, but still hadn't been chosen. But that stopped me, right? Um, and I'm like, that's got to be alternative, right? This shouldn't be just government determining who will go into space and who won't. And I learned about SpaceX and Blue Origin. I'm like, there's got to be something else. Because there were women in the early 60s called the Mercury 13. These women took it and said, you know what? I'm going to be an, uh, an astronaut. I'm going to demonstrate to you that I got the intelligence, the body, and the passion to do it. So I'm like, let me see if I find my compadres out there. And I did. Project 13. Uh, Possum 13. And I, I applied. I demonstrated my skills. Graduated from the class of 1902, and um, I was selected to be one of the ambassadors, which was such an honor. And then they asked me, hey, you want to go up? And that was another honor. And my, my goal is to demonstrate how all these wonderful women working together of diverse backgrounds and passions and interests, we want to make sure we set the example, we set the representation that, yes, you can don't give up and then we can solve world problems together and to go to the depths of the inner city or in the rural rural areas or in the third world countries and really you know if you want to talk about equity and inclusion go and look for them because if they don't know their skills and their passions until you demonstrate show them so that's our goal we're finding ways to fund ourselves to go out there casting the net large enough to hear more voices to help human life. So it you talk a lot about being like a mentor, talk about, um, you know, wanting to provide opportunities for others, give motivations, opportunities. I'm just so curious what inspired you to further your education. Once um, you got the opportunity to go to RPI, you got a PhD at Caltech. I'm curious how, what motivated you to further your study in molecular genetics? I wanted to win a Nobel Prize. I wanted to be a first Puerto Rican to win a Nobel Prize once I learned about it. Um, but what triggered me to keep on going was, um, I don't want to bring it down, but it's the continual being told, nope, you are, you're going to just end up where you're going to end up. You can't go any further. The stereotype. And I didn't want to be a stereotype, especially when I saw my friends get shot right in front of my face. When JP was thrown over the West, uh, White Boom, uh, White Stone Bridge, saying, no, you're just going to be here. I hated that. I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to be just another. I want to be, oh, my God, look at that. And that's okay. I just didn't want to be another person in my family that died before the age of 25. I didn't want that. And I kept on persisting. I mean, it was a battle through within my family and finding the hustle to demonstrate my skills. And even though if I didn't demonstrate it strong enough, finding another path, uh, pathway to say, no, I did earn this. I wasn't given this. I earned this. Um, that was it. And as I got older and I had my niece and I seen other uh individuals with a similar background as me just giving up identifying themselves as their partner or I'm I'm just destined to be this I hate that I hate when someone says I'm just this you're more than just you are a light you're an inspiration without you here 
the future of possibilities will happen. So how dare you just limit yourself? You know, I, maybe I, I don't like that. I mean, you gotta try. What's the worst case scenario? You just try again. And if if there was a student out there, because I'm sure like there's countless students who might be feeling like they're just this or might be lacking representation or opportunity, if you could look them directly in the eyes, what would you tell them? Reach out. Um, you're not just. You are somebody. You are possibilities. And if you need someone to help you, guide you, just don't hesitate to email me. Um, you can find me through the internet. Just My name is pretty original. Just write Ideal Gonzalez. Reach out. And I will connect you to someone. And you will see your magic, your real magic, and your possibilities. And you realize how much impact you will have on this world. And then you pay it forward. If you want to thank me for it, then you pay it forward and help someone else. Coming from a teacher's perspective, how would you, maybe to those teachers that are teaching those students, what would you maybe say to them? Maybe to boost, you know, uh, engagement with their students or try to get them where they want to go. You're not teaching for yourself. You're teaching for the future. Um, get out of your comfort zone. Definitely go out, whatever lesson it may be, uh, look for a real world problem, bring it into the classroom, tailor your curriculum around it, and find representation. Show them their faces. Show them that you can be that and look at what other cultures are doing demonstrate how diversity brings out the best of individuals because you're lazy if you don't you're just finding the escape goat if you don't and if you start if you are a teacher you have the most responsible and then up you have the most important job on this planet because you are molding young minds and molding possibilities and if you're not taking that extra effort to show what they can be and motivate them and apply equity and inclusion in the classroom, it's not all about the numbers, it's about the journey of how to learn. That's when you're doing the right thing. If you're just doing it for a paycheck, get out. Dr. G, I just want you to know that your, you as a teacher motivated both Cosma and I to pay it forward, pass it on through this podcast. And we were hoping to share some of your um, wisdom and some students contacted us and were asking if we could ask some questions for them. So we were wondering if we could do a quick Q&A session with you um, to you know, give some students the opportunity to ask questions, get involved, and uh, further their interest through your passion. Okay. So, our first question um, comes from Emily Kim, and she asks, what inspired you to go into teaching? I wanted to make sure I was making a difference. Yes, I was in school and I was doing the lab, you know, running my labs at Cal Poly and stuff like that. But when I had students come in and volunteer and work with me, I didn't see the same population as I see when I walk outside my door, you know, and it's about, this is just, I'm here just to go into college. I'm like, no, is there a passion for science or passion? It's like, no, I think this is a means to an end. 
but I kept on hearing the same thing over and over again in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I'm like, no, if I want to bring in more diversity, more passion in science, I got to do my part. So before I put myself into the classroom, and I love, you know, I like doing both because I want to show that I'm relevant and why am I relevant when I teach? I'm not just teaching from a book. The book is the scaffold of what the possibilities can be done, right? So I was taking tours in other schools of all of San Fernando Valley, and I saw some really great teachers, and then I saw some teachers that were just phoning it in, saying, oh, ATP is a protein complex, or, oh, or this is the way my teacher taught it. And I'm like, when, was, when did you learn this? Oh, 20 years ago. I'm like, no. If you are really committed in student-centered learning and inspiration and bringing the next round of powerful leaders you got to take that investment. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going into the classroom. And I want to go into a classroom and demonstrate that any individual, no matter whatever their background, they can do science if they have the heart for it. If I noticed I didn't say the grades. Because with the applied science, so when I had students working with me doing projects, they realized, oh, so this is why math is needed in chemistry and ethics to study this you see how everything is interconnected and how the study of life, you need technology and engineering, you need programming, you need to know your history, you need all that. I don't know if I answered the question, I'm sorry. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think above and beyond. Um, so the next question comes from Casey Afshani and she asks, this is one of my favorite questions, I'm not going to lie, but she asks, it's really easy to look at a woman like you, Dr. G, and think her life must be perfect, but what failures or hardships did you endure when trying to get to the place you are today? If you can name a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a lot of doors slam in my face. I remember at Caltech, um, oh, for like both down to RPI, hearing consistently, oh, you were just brought in for diversity reasons and um being told where to be in the rat scaler you know there used to be the ghetto and that's where all the latinos hung around and they had other sex it was a lot of segregation there unintentional but it just happened um other obstacles um, making sure my voice was heard i had a thicker accent believe it or not um growing up from rpa caltech and all they saw was the outer shell. They couldn't believe that I had the intelligence and the heart and the work ethic to accomplish dreams and to work with a team. Um, I had to speak louder, yell louder, work harder to demonstrate that I belong in the in that table. I remember one time at Caltech, um, I was reserving the confocal. I reserved it, I think, for eight o'clock in the morning. And I reserved it, so I started using it. I had someone else yell at me, this is my microscope, I reserved it. I'm like, excuse me, I have priority. I'm like, okay, let's look. I thought I reserved it, proof I reserved it. You people, you people always do this. I went, whoa. I literally was called you people. I'm like, what do you mean by you people? It's like, you you people, you know, because I told her to do it, to assign it, and both of you have the same last name. So, you know, I'm like, Gonzalez? I usually thought I was the technician. No one really believed that I was one of the, the doctor, one of the research scientists there. And I was 
ballistic because I heard that so many times and this one was so I reported it I'm like this is what happened this is not okay this is not research this is not STEM this is not inclusivity but information was taken but no action so I had to like what do I need to do so I had to like reshuffle myself and this is when um, I started to think about let me open up my own lab and let me teach at the same time because if I want to have an inclusive research environment I need to start where it begins and that's in the, in the school and teach confidence even to this day I still have obstacles when I walk down the street um, and then you know I'm talking to individuals and I tell them what I do you really do that I get those kind of looks um, that's that's a obstacle <laughs> um, there's so many more but I don't like it, but there are some implicit biases people have or stereotypes and I think when I go in there I break it um, I remember at Capai Pomona as a professor I'm sitting where the students are because I want to just check out you know you know before I go up and start teaching my class everyone's like yeah who's the professor and I'm like yeah um, I call it it's got to be some old lady or whatever and I'm like no I found I heard she was young no joke this is a true story and they're like well she's late I'm like no she was here 15 minutes early so I go up they said you're the professor I'm like yeah that was like how Polly Pomona so it's just uh, you know those kind of little things I have to it's hard meanwhile like for my husband it's a little easier for him to people say yeah he's in charge he's the man you know quote unquote he's the person in charge he's the one who knows their stuff but if we have the same education, the same background, they will still view him as that. So I have to be more assertive every time, and it gets exhausting. Oh my gosh. Well, it seems like you have so many interesting stories because of these hardships, and I think it's only made you stronger. I know it's only made you stronger. And Kara Salipwold actually asked a question kind of pertaining to some topics that we were discussing just a few seconds ago. She says, how has your experience in a male-dominated field been as a woman of color? It was so hard. Um, I don't know if I told you this story. I had to, like, I don't mind working hard towards a goal, especially if it's going to help someone. I don't mind that. This was when I was a postdoc at USC at the Institute of Genetic Medicine. And I finished giving birth to Owen, you know, pop that one out. And I'm setting up my experiment on myotonic dystrophy by using CL against the tool because I found the clone. Huzzah. And, um, you know, I'm working and then there's this guy coming closer to me and try to rub himself on me. I'm like, whoa, so stop that. And like, I'm like thinking to myself, wait, these are educated individuals. I was like saying it's my fault. And he kept on and he actually trapped me in the corner of a room. Then somebody came in and I left the room and I'm like, what just happened? Because I'm like, these are educated individuals and I'm not in the inner city. What's going on here? Was I assaulted or not? I was like really thinking like that. So. I went uh, to Caltech and I was talking to my friends there and they go, I deal that, that wasn't right. But I'm like, 
but he is one of the big people here, you know, and stuff like that. And then I went, you know, to meet up with my husband. And I was still talking about it. The next day, you know, it happened again, but I found out with other girls, individuals, females of color, saying that he's been approaching people like that all the time. I'm like, wait, this is a trend? Um, he doesn't do it to anyone else. And supposedly, this is before I came in, other women of color spoke, but were not heard. But I was the first one with a degree that he approached. I went back and met, met up with my husband, you know, at JPL and like, I was just livid. I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, I'm going to go to Caltech, do some injections. I'm not going to do it at USC. I find out that uh, my husband met up with the guy at USC. True story. Um, I go back to I, uh, IGM and I hear people saying, ideal, your, your husband was here. I'm like, what? Yeah, your husband was here. He confronted the guy. My boss was there. My boss says, okay, we got to do something about this. And there was a whole shift. Um, even though many women were speaking, no one was listening. But I think this is when my degree helped. And also my husband coming in saying, no, this is a pattern. You need to listen or you're going to lose somebody. So I never told you that story. I I mean, I certainly haven't heard that story, but oh, no, I, I got stories. I I, I could give you stories that you know will multicolor your hair. That's for sure. I mean, I think th what I got from that, I think the, the biggest thing was that it's not, it's not just like a, a once in a while thing. This is like a, a, a not. I'm not gonna say daily, but this is something that you deal with, like all the time. You know, this yeah. is not obviously something that you can just like switch off and change. Whereas, you know, I think other people might think that's a thing. Unfortunately. It's not at all. And I think, um, I don't know, go, going along with this, going along with your like incredible stories, which I'm sure are endless. Um, what's something that you wish people would ask you more about? Something that, you know, they may have not asked you before in countless interviews or articles that you've done before. I guess I wish I was asked, um, what was that privilege that allowed you to get this far? Because, I, and maybe it's because of what we're going through in history right now, our living history. Um, and for me, because uh, I was like listening to uh, Whistling Vivaldi again, I'm reading The Difference. And I was sitting down, I'm like, what was that spark in me? What was it that brought me here? And, and I'm like, okay, so what was that privilege? What was that gift? And I am thinking to myself, representation. I was seeking out faces. I was seeking out the not the norm. Saying, okay, I again, I am somebody because that person is somebody. And I'm gonna go back to something that uh, one of my friends, Tamika Coverdell, she's a lawyer to be a judge in New York and she we saw um, she shared with me in Facebook uh, Nina Simone's song at Sesame Street and talking about black and I'm proud and I'm somebody and I'm like that threw me back because I remember watching that when I was a little girl and I wrote down to her I remember crying when when Jesse Jackson 
was on Sesame Street. Again, this is the art component of STEAM. Saying to everyone, I am somebody, no matter I am black, no matter if you are brown, no matter if you are white or speak another language, you are somebody. You deserve to be respected. And I'm like, I remember crying because I was seven years old and saying, really, I'm somebody? And then she found it. And I wanted, that's what I wanted, I wish someone asked me is, what brought you here? And I would say representation. Yeah, representation matters 100%. That's yeah. But time. that's something you should look up. It was uh, Jesse Jackson. I think it was broadcast in 1976. Sesame Street. I am somebody. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and being so vulnerable because honestly, it's really hard to real with, especially through the media, just getting some like real perspectives, like actually getting to understand, um, you know, what goes into like all of these successes because you know you you're so confident you're so strong you're one of a, a legends in steam honestly and people don't really know the struggles that you've had to endure to get where you are today and i think like wrapping up the first episode of our full steam ahead podcast do you want to let the audience know what's going on in your life right now this successes that you're looking forward to in the future, um, projects, long-term goals? So I'm continuing with my Project Possum. Um, as a scientist astronaut, I'm actually working on some experimentation on how to better the soil um, using biomarkers like nematodes. So I'm working with Fermone. They actually have space worms working with them, working with Project Possum. And I'm actually working with Brentwood, but I'm hoping I'm working with Buckley and all schools to bring research into the classroom and meeting all the milestones for graduation. So you can actually see why you have to learn, you know, Vandewell forces, right? Or biomat, you know, the macromolecules. And um, I'm hoping with that research, I could find funding to do the high seas with my Possum 13 sisters. Um, so that's a two-week project to do Mars simulation. You know, you're bringing this type of technology into a Mars environment. So that's analog astronauts and see if this will work here. And if it does work here, maybe for Mars or for the moon or for the ISS. And hopefully this, this technology can actually better the soil and our planet that we're, that is depleted and recultivated again using non-chemicals, but using the animals that we have around us. So that's one thing that I have. And then hopefully hear some good news that I'm at least past the first round of the astronaut Artemis program from NASA. So well, I mean, I'm all of us wish you good luck. I'm sure the viewers at home do. And, you know, thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. But more than that, thank you, Dr. G, for being so incredibly receptive and and open towards answering these questions. Be sure to follow Dr. G on Instagram at real underscore doctor dot underscore G and at TikTok at oh, yeah. doctor <laughs> underscore ideal underscore Gonzalez. She posts everything from fun facts and pickle pizzas to space travel updates and social change advocacy and you know a healthy heaping of memes and puns in there too. Yes, Dr. G. Thank you so much for being here. You're an icon. We've learned so much from you today and I bet everyone at home has as well. So that and thank you guys for paying it forward. Now, like that, I feel like you know, kudos to my back. I'm glad that you guys paying it forward and like really changing the world, my world changers. Thank you.
That being said, we'll see you all next time on the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Be sure to follow the Full Steam Ahead podcast on Instagram for the latest info on upcoming guests, as well as Q&A opportunities, where we take questions directly from our audience and pose them to our podcast guests at Full Steam Ahead podcast on Instagram.